As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for joining us on the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis. I'm Ruth Jackson, and before I introduce this week's guest, just a quick reminder to head over to our website, premierunbelievable.com, to find more shows, articles, and resources. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you can get yourself a free ebook. But now for today's show. On Friday the 19th of May, the evangelist, apologist and author Tim Keller died following a decline in his health after being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2020. Christians around the world took to social media to express their gratitude for Tim and the impact of his work on their faith and ministries. Many people said that they thought of Keller as a modern-day C.S. Lewis. I'm joined today by Colin Hansen, editor-in-chief of the Gospel Coalition, and executive director of the Keller Centre for Cultural Apologetics. Colin recently wrote a book entitled Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. We spoke at great length about his book and the impact of Tim Keller on the Unapologetic podcast, so I'll make sure that there are links to this conversation below. But our focus today is on Tim Keller and C.S. Lewis. Colin, why do you think people keep making the connection between Tim Keller and C.S. Lewis? (laughs) Well, I think people are making the connection between the two because Tim loved C.S. Lewis so much. (laughs) Um, You know, one of my favorite stories from the book was from Mako Fujimura, the famous artist. He was an elder at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in the early years. And he said to me, you know, Colin, we could always tell when Tim didn't have time to prepare his sermon that week. I said, okay, well, what was it? He said, (laughs) he just quoted C.S. Lewis. (laughs) And he said, and we didn't complain because he was so amazing. And, um, you know, and Tim, of course, mere Christianity was very formative early on. Um, There were not American examples of the kind of public Christianity mm. that C.S. Lewis represented, especially in that, um, you know, World War II and post-war period in the UK. Um, it just weren't other people that were bringing together culture, history, literature, and um, and, and and faith, of course. So and that, the primary reason I think they associate the two is because of their their role in in public public, you know, public Christianity, public apologetics that were widely, widely, um, you know, you, you can hand most people, you know, some work from C.S. Lewis and they'll profit from it no matter their education level. That's fairly similar with Tim Keller, but that is rare to be able to cover the spectrum 
meaning that somebody who's very learned and accomplished can get a lot, but also somebody on the other end of the spectrum. So that's, I think, another reason they're associated with each other. But the final thing I do think is interesting, though, is that in many ways, they really don't have much in common. I mean, theologically, they're coming from very different traditions. The kind of Anglicanism that that Lewis practiced versus uh, Tim Keller's Presbyterianism. Um, of course, Tim did not engage in any fiction, the stuff that Lewis is most famous for. Uh, Tim was also a professor, but he was a professor of ministry. It wasn't academic in that in that sense. So just a lot of the projects that Lewis engaged in of high academics, you would never associate with Tim. So I do think it's interesting how much we closely associate them with each other, despite the fact that they were really different in substantial ways. And so would you agree with the people, the many people actually, certainly if my social media is anything to go by, who have hailed yeah. Tim Keller as the modern day C.S. Lewis or a modern day C.S. Lewis? I mean, I would say no, just because of that literature part there. Um, I think people are still going to be reading Mere Christianity and a lot of things for a long period of time. But of course, he's always going to be most famous, I think, for the Narnia books, which um, which Kathy introduced to Tim. So he read during um, during his college years, but they were not Tim's favorite. Tim was partial toward Lord of the Rings and toward Tolkien over there. So I would that's the only thing that I would say in terms of I don't see that overlap there. However, I do think in the sense that people probably are intending of of what I just described. Well, sure, I, I think Tim would be honored. And I'll, I will say this. There's a moment I talked about in the book and I actually have a friend who was, you know, there as an eyewitness of this scene. Tim had been invited over to do uh, the Oxford mission and he's walking through Oxford and he's seeing the lampposts and it starts to snow. I mean, he very clearly did think, I mean, he, he, he drew the connections in there. It was almost like the Lord was sending the snow as a kind of anointing there. Um, so he was very conscious of it. He loved doing those Oxford missions in part because of how it made him think of Lewis. Hmm. I mean, obviously, as you say, there are some significant differences. But, but why do you think that Tim Keller has, like Lewis, been embraced by Christians across theological and denominational spectrums, as well as being able to appeal to non-Christians? Because that definitely is one similarity that they have, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. So Tim made a decision when he went to New York City that was significant. And I think unspoken or, or just unknown to a lot of people, he said, we are going to focus on those things that separate Christians from non-Christians, not those things that separate Christians from each other. So what you get in Tim Keller, along with C.S. Lewis, is this mere Christianity, a defense of the essential aspects of Christianity, not of every single different detail in terms of denomination. So for example, I don't know if C.S. Lewis wrote about baptism. Somebody out there is going to know, and they're going to send me an email. I don't know if he wrote about baptism, okay? But the point is, I never even think about what Lewis's views on baptism would have been, about infant versus, you know, adult or, or whatnot. I just, I don't even think about that. Well, Tim did have views on baptism. He was a pastor, after all, but he didn't write a lot about it. You just you don't see much out there about it. So when you look at his books, you listen to his sermons, there really is a mere Christianity kind of approach. 
I will also say this. Tim saw himself as wanting compared to Lewis in one key regard. He said to me many times about an assessment that somebody had done at some point of Lewis's writings. And Lewis's writings, probably in part because Mere Christianity was written for radio um, during the war, uh, Lewis was the genius of geniuses, going back to Jesus, the true genius himself, of imagery, of word pictures, of helping people to visualize what he was saying. And when you compare Lewis to just about anybody else, including Keller, Lewis packs his writings densely with imagery. You can see it's it's so vivid when you're looking at him. I think another person, I'm, I'm speaking out of turn here because I don't know for sure, but another person who's so good at this was Spurgeon, of course. Um, and Tim learned a lot from Spurgeon as well. Whitfield was fairly good at this as well. Um, but Lewis was was especially gifted. And so Tim wanted to be that way. He wanted to work that way. By the way, Jonathan Edwards was also this way. So Tim was very conscious about how when you're speaking, when you're writing, you're trying to evoke other senses, including your imagination and your and your your vivid being able to picture these concepts. So Tim, I mean, clearly was so indebted to to Lewis, but naturally would have seen himself as as wanting in comparison. Mm. So I suppose in some ways it wasn't just his works that inspired Tim Keller. It was Lewis's approach to reading and his sort of approach to using yeah. different imagery and things like that. Yeah, I was very conscious on Tim's part of of wanting to emulate what he thought was a very effective way of communicating. I think so much um, a lot of uh, a lot of preaching and teaching remains very abstract. The reason Lewis is so um, so widely read still today is because he could appeal to abstract thinkers, but also to concrete thinkers. And I think that's similar to Tim. And it's because of the use of those dim different imagery. Mm. And Lewis was really significant for Keller in terms of helping people to identify the reason to believe in God, wasn't he? I, I read something where it says that, you know, it, in fact, he called um, C.S. Lewis's patron saint and he said, sort of quoting C.S. Lewis, he said, don't believe in Christianity because it's relevant, though it is, don't believe it because lots of smart people believe it, though they do, don't believe that because it fulfills your needs, though it will, um, but believe in it because it's true. And that was right. obviously quite an important thing for Keller as well, wasn't it, about Christianity being true? It was. And, you know, I just did a, a recent interview with a, with a convert named Molly Worthen on my podcast, Gospel Bound. And Lewis was instrumental in her coming to faith, as was Tim. And when you look at Tim's book, The Reason for God, it's, it's much more Lewis-esque in the sense that it's offering very kind of intellectual reasons. Um, but through his work on cultural apologetics, Tim came to see that we need to be branching out and perhaps not focusing quite as much on those reasons uh, for believing as we had in previous generations. But Molly made such an interesting observation. It was Lewis's space trilogy that first unlocked her interest in the gospel. And that's a work of cultural apologetics. But then it was N.T. Wright's work on the resurrection that she came across through Tim that helped to convince her that the, res that the resurrections, the biblical account of the resurrection is the only intellectually satisfying explanation for what happened. What an amazing combination of cultural apologetics 
and rational apologetics that Lewis embodied, that Tim embodied, and I think is a good model for us to continue to embody today. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time, and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Inti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you. You've mentioned before that it wasn't just um, C.S. Lewis that Tim Keller was inspired by in terms of the Oxford Inklings. He drew quite heavily upon Tolkien as well, didn't he? He did. And Tolkien was, I'm not sure anybody else outside of God himself in the scriptures um, got this treatment. But Tim said he never stopped reading Tolkien. He was always reading something from him. And you could just see those illustrations come through his, his views on eucatastrophe, the, you know, the, the, the darkness before the dawn. That's just so emblematic of, of Lord of the Rings. His his little talk on Leaf by Niggle, um, it was such a, a view of God's providence, but also of our work. Um, when it came the September 11th, post-September 11th message, he goes straight to to Gandalf from Lord of the Rings in there. So, yeah, Tim was, um, Lewis was maybe his closer exemplar or parallel in terms of his ministry. But but at the end of the day, uh, Tim was a Tim was a Tolkien nerd. <laughs> <laughs> he was a Tolkien nerd. And I think it's important to note that it becomes so confusing to us, especially after the movies. But um, back in the 1960s and 1970s, Tolkien was a counterculture figure. And Tim was kind of was part of that counterculture, the Jesus movement. You've got these little hobbit things that are smoking all the time and sitting in their little house. I mean, he was not he was not like this mainstream middle American kind of figure that we sometimes think about him today. So yeah, so Tim was definitely a, a Tolkien nerd before that was um, much more popular <laughs> thanks to the movies. <laughs> now, in some ways, we'll talk a little bit about how Tim Keller got into C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, but but part of his inspiration was his wife, Kathy, wasn't it? And she had some really interesting interactions with C.S. Lewis, didn't she? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the last people to ever correspond with Lewis, who, who died in November of 1963, and and she was just 13 years old <laughs> at mm. the time. And uh, I, in my book, I was able to include some of that correspondence, including a photograph of the of one of the actual letters that Lewis had sent her. But um, but Kathy was so precocious that not only did she correspond with Lewis, and I do think it's funny she didn't grow up in an evangelical household that read 
Christian authors. And Lewis was not even nearly as popular at that time as he's become subsequently. But she just didn't know he was famous. She thought she was his only fan. And he was, she was trying to keep his life going, and she just loved the Narnia Chronicles. And, and she thought she was encouraging this long-lost uh, author <laughs> and just corresponding about the most mundane kind of things. But, yeah, it was so serious that even as a teenager, you know, not long after he died, she traveled. And she visited. And she visited the house, and she talked with Lewis's brother. And, and I'm just... I'm just flabbergasted by that, but it tells you a lot about uh, a lot about Kathy and why she and Tim were were such a good match. And for sure, she she then introduced him to the Chronicles of Narnia, and um, ultimately he knew about mere Christianity. But she's the one who really got him going on the on the fiction in particular. Do we know how she came into contact with Lewis to start with? Yeah, I'm trying to remember that. I think there was something, I can't remember if it was a book fair or something like that. I don't know how she came across the books. I don't recall that. You'll have to have Kathy on the show. She can tell you the full story there. But it must have been through something school related because she just wasn't aware of anybody else who was a fan of his. So, um, no, I don't know. And I don't know how she decided to undertake. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I was in third grade when I read the Chronicles of Narnia and it felt like an experience that I've never had before and never had since reading. So I can only imagine what she must have felt like when she read them and um, a personal connection to the author and a desire to reach out and to thank him for them. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that it had a very significant impact on her life and her theology. Oh, absolutely. It was similar to Tim in the sense of showing them the credibility in a world of skepticism toward rational and evocative Christianity. Um, yeah, because neither one of them followed exactly the kind of Christianity that they grew up with. So they needed mentors, um, even just literary mentors. And Lewis became that for them. And do we know if there was a particular book or quote or Lewis argument that Tim kept returning to? And if so, why? That's a good question. No, not that I think of. It was so wide ranging. Because I know that with Tolkien, because you can go back and you can see the catastrophe, you can see Leaf by Niggle, you can see them come through again and again. I think I'll have to depend on your listeners for some help there because in my in my estimation with him it was I mean it was it was a lot. I mean of course he did he did use the stuff from mere Christianity about how it's only those people who think most of the next world who are any good in this world, you know reversing the common common trope about being so heavenly minded that we're not earthly good. I think that's in reason for God if I remember correctly. Um but yeah, I mean it just seemed he was he was borrowing widely. Like I said, if if he couldn't quote anybody else on the spot, he had a tremendous wide-ranging command of Lewis's corpus. And what about for Kathy? Was it the Narnia Chronicles that were particularly uh, impactful in her life? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's definitely the case with her. I didn't get into all of the other different aspects, but when she you know, there was a, a fascinating relationship. Kathy's younger sister 
was a student two years behind Tim at Bucknell. So they had this fascinating relationship where Kathy would be reading books and she would tell them to her sister who would tell them to Tim. And then Tim would be reading books and he'd tell them to this, you know, this, this other student at Bucknell. And then she would tell Kathy and they would go back and forth about that long before they were even really friends or even really, really dating. It's only fitting, I think, that they were already, um, uh, book buddies <laughs> before they were before they were romantic partners. Now, as we come towards the end of this, there's a line in your book that I've got to ask you for clarification on. You say yeah. Tolkien gave Keller a heart language, and not just yeah. the Elvish. He occasionally speaks with <laughs> Kathy. Now, please tell me that Tim and Kathy Keller actually spoke Elvish to each other. Please tell me that's true, Colin. I think I think Kathy has downplayed that a little bit, but I do know that that seems like it's probably a little bit more of Tim's uh, love language in Elvish. So I don't want to overclaim perhaps there for <laughs> Kathy, but but they they clearly their shared passion for for literature, for reading, for discussing for ministry. I do know that that does seem a little bit more like Tim's uh, particular Tolkien uh, geekiness <laughs> right there. I remember, a, I remember a joke from Ligon Duncan about that at one point, but um, yeah, I mean, I did. Um, I know I picked that up from somewhere, but I think there was, I think Kathy was kind of like, well, it's not like we talk all the time. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to pick that up with her because that yeah, is just, if that her. is true, it's excellent. I know, I, I know, I heard it somewhere. I would not have made that up. I'm just, I'm just remembering Kathy being like, yeah, that's not quite, you know, quite how it happened, but it definitely does sound like. <laughs> Now, obviously, C.S. Lewis has maintained a, like such intellectual credibility even among Christians sixty years after his death. Do you have any thoughts about why why that's the case? Because obviously, for Tim and Kathy Keller, that is that's very much the case, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think it's that. Um, I think it's the the pairing of the head and the heart. Um, many people can evoke, you know, think about a preacher like a Joel Osteen, like, I, I guess for some people, he can make them feel something in their heart, but he's not really engaging the head. And you could think of any number of reformed expositors that can engage the head, but not necessarily the heart. But that's what Lewis and Keller both were so effective in doing. And so when you're, when your devotional literature is also your intellectual stimulation that's when you know you have something special. And I think that's exactly what, or not exactly, but I'm sure that's some of the experience of what Jesus evoked in his followers and the crowds of, wow, this is a man speaking with uncommon authority. What did he mean by that? Because he understood the scriptures, but he also understood people. And, you know, he could, he could engage in any kind of argument and always defeat the other side in the argument. But he also outpaced everybody else in his love as well. And he could penetrate to see the soul. Um, I think as, you know, of course, that's the Savior that we worship and that Lewis and Tim both worshiped and now see face to face. I think, I think some of that gifting is what we love about them is that they could speak to the heart and the head at the same time. That's really special and a good standard for the rest of us. I mean, I know Tim Keller would definitely not put himself in the same category as C.S. Lewis, but we can because we're not him. Um, (laughs) 
Do you think there's going to be a sort of similar legacy 60 years after Keller's death of people reading and going back to his arguments and his sermons? I, I certainly I certainly think so. And the only difference will be that in some ways, fiction holds up over time better than nonfiction does. Um, just because sometimes nonfiction is, is suited to the moment, whereas fiction is is set in a different world. And in fact, that's what Tim, I, I'm a big fan of realist fiction. He was a bigger fan of fantasy fiction. But what he said about fantasy is that it allows you to imagine a different world with different rules. And that's very important to get people out of their kind of what Charles Taylor describes as the imminent frame of not being able to imagine the supernatural. So I do think that Tim will be read widely for many decades to come. But, you know, Lewis will Lewis and Tolkien will have a special place just because of the way their art seems to. Um, well, of course, the, the, the language here is it steals past the watchful dragons. Right. So, I, I mean, I have friends who read, read, read Lord of the Rings and they read the, the Chronicles of Narnia and have no idea any of the Christian background on them, whereas a little bit more in your face with Tim. So, again, that's probably the main difference that I see. But no doubt there's I don't know which books of Tim's are going to be read. Uh, I, I tend to think that books like Making Sense of God will make more sense to us decades from now than they do now. Um, just because he was pretty forward thinking, but um, especially things like the meaning of marriage and his work on Proverbs and Psalms, I think they'll be with us for a long time. I certainly hope so. Colin, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast. I'm Ruth Jackson. And as always, you can find out more about our guests through the links with today's show. We would love to hear your feedback. Do drop us an email with your thoughts at unbelievable at premiere.org.uk or get in touch via social media. And don't forget, there are more shows, articles and resources at our website, premiereunbelievable.com. You can also register there for a free ebook. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>